I would like to invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 4, John's Gospel. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we've got those in the pews, and that would be page number 912. But we're looking at James, excuse me, John. We're doing James on Wednesday nights. John chapter 4. And uh, I'm going to pick up reading where we left off last time. We've, we've taken this uh, narrative here having to do with a woman at the well, and we've split it up into three pieces. And uh, this is the third. We conclude the story today, beginning in verse 27. John chapter 4, verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Verse 31, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he had said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then come the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who weeps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For there is a saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Let's ask for the Lord's help and understanding and obeying his word. Father in heaven, we ask for just those things, to understand your word so that we can obey your word. Open it to our understanding. May we be diligent in study, and may we be faithful in obedience. Thank you so much for the time together to do this this morning. We ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Well, this morning's topic, based on the passage of Scripture that we read, and if you recall, we put them into three pieces, the first having to do with water. That would be living water that Jesus offered this lady at a well after asking her for a drink of literal water, but then he changes into this idea of something that he can offer her that uh, will end the thirst she's had in her life from the beginning. And then the second one, we talked about water, and then we talked about, uh, what is it now? I'm losing my mind. What was the third one? Go ahead. Worship. Worship. 
Well, on this mountain do we worship or in Jerusalem? And we're working our way toward witness today. She's going to tell others. So we have those three. Water, worship, and witness. Now, let's look at this. With the topic of, of witness, that's evangelism. You know, it was just last month that we talked about tithing. And then now we're talking about evangelism. These are not the most exciting topics to discuss, if we're honest with ourselves, especially with this idea of witness. Worship, we looked at last time. Is it real? Is it legitimate worship? The Lord knows who are worshipers. But now about witnessing and being faithful to tell others what it is that we know about Jesus. Now, I think if you're honest, I have no problem being that this morning. As far as personal evangelism, our, our, our record in our faithfulness and sharing Christ with others, I think most of us would say, I've clearly flunked that class. Uh, we, we always feel as though we're, we're short. But this is where I think we might have the most encouraging words of this entire story. Because this is not your typical evangelism message. This is not your typical evangelism passage. Because a lot of the things that we want to assign, and there's nothing wrong with with methods. There's nothing wrong with uh, the way that we might structure the way we approach evangelism with certain groups of people. All those are are very good. But at the the basis of it all, it's it's very simplistic. And uh, some common excuses that people raise... When we talk about our awful test score when it comes to evangelism. Uh, things like, why well, I don't know what to say. Or, uh, I haven't been a Christian very long. So, what good am I to someone else? Uh, it might cause problems at work. It's true. Other things seem urgent. I, I plan for it, but it just seems to get crowded out. Or, people won't listen, much less believe what I have to say. Well, all of those, and these aren't our points, but they're just examples of how each of these excuses could have been used by this woman at the well who went into town and brought others with him, with her, and they, they all were saved. Uh, she didn't know what to say. I mean, of course not. She's, she's just learning all this, brand new. She hasn't been a Christian an hour yet. Uh, might cause problems at work. What do you think? She goes into town and starts telling a bunch of folks, there's a guy outside town at the well who's telling me everything I've ever done. This is the woman with five husbands in her past. They might have just been going to find out what else he's telling. If he seems to know everything about her life, maybe he knows everything about their lives. So they're going to check it out. Other things seem more urgent. She leaves the reason why she went to the well at the well. She left her water pot there. So this seems to supersede at least that on the punch list she had for the day. Or that people won't listen, much less believe me. They did believe her, and then they believed Jesus. So all of these excuses are not valid, even for the newest of Christians we read today. So I have three points, and uh, we'll begin with this. It doesn't have to be complicated. That's where we'll start, because there's nothing complicated about this example that we're reading here today. 
we'll pick up in verse 27 in a moment. That's where we started. But the disciples interrupt the conversation uh, by returning uh, from their trip into town to buy food. Remember, they'd gone in and Jesus was there alone at the well when this woman arrived. Um, And the fact that these disciples were surprised that he was talking to her uh, reflects those prejudices of the day that we discussed a number of weeks ago. In fact, I, I wrote this down that I read in a commentary, uh, prominent Jewish thought held that for a rabbi to talk much with a woman, even his wife, was at best a waste of time and at worst a diversion from the study of the Torah, which he should be spending his time on. It's a waste of time to talk even with your wife. So for this rabbi to be talking when they walk up is something that they're surprised by. Uh, it says here that they, they don't answer. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled. They're confused that he was talking to a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? That'd be to the woman. Or why are you talking to her? That'd be to Jesus. And uh, I think it's obvious why they didn't say that to the woman. Because men weren't supposed to talk to women. And for them to ask her, what are you doing? Would be in violation to the thing that surprises them that Jesus has done. But to ask him, some have gone as far as to say, well, maybe he, they're all being uh, respectful and polite. They're learning to wait on him and uh, to trust that he knows what he's doing. Well, there's so many other times in Scripture where they didn't wait. They jumped right in and found out they were wrong this way or the other way. So it's not consistent for them to be uh, model students here. Oh, I'm sure there's a reason for this. They're probably just dumbfounded. And we do this all the time. We walk up on something. We listen to a conversation that we're only hearing the middle point of. And we're just thinking in our head. What in the world are they on about? This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. If, if, if I, but we've got enough sense at least to keep our mouths shut. And it's... As we read on, we, they're more confused than that, having to do with, with his explanation of himself and the food that he has. They didn't like what they've got. And who brought him food? It goes from confusing to very confusing. But let's look what happened. They're there. They walk up. They're confused, but silent. And then the woman leaves her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, and this is the key verses, 29 and 30 of this passage. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Question mark. They went out of the town and were coming to him. So if we'd pay only attention to what she said, because we're not, if, if this is a passage we study for help with evangelism, we're not given much as to her tactics or what she said. She basically just gives this short testimony here. Come see a man who told me all I ever did. But there's a pattern here. If we pay attention, turn back to John 1. You should probably only have to turn a page. And look at verse 38. Because we've heard what she has said at least twice already. This is John 1, 38. Jesus turned and saw them following. These are... Uh, Andrew and another disciple, his first two followers. 
What are you seeking? Jesus asked. They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So I'll show you. Come with me. And then go a little further. Uh, That's verse 45. Philip found Nathanael. Uh, Verse 45, and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? See, he's confused. Okay, you've found what Moses has been talking about for years and years and years. And he comes from Nazareth. His name is Jesus. And uh, rather than argue with him there, was it say in verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming, or excuse me, at the end of 46, Philip said to him, come and see. So this is now the third invitation in John's record so far. It's no more complicated than just come and see. And that's the first point. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. Sometimes. Well, just come and see. Uh, come see what I see. Come hear what I hear. Uh, would you like to come to church with me? Would you like to come have dinner in our home? And just see how we do things as a family. Now, it, this tends to work best with people that you already know. Uh, when the simplicity comes in so great, it doesn't have to be any more complicated than this. It's when the people already know your background. You're not a stranger to them, in other words, right? Um, sometimes we get this... This problem with evangelism in that it's like making cold calls and selling vacuums. Or, I don't know, I heard another guy say it was like being asked uh, to go from office to office selling toner cartridges. Or, or water filters. Or getting caught sticking one of those uh, landscaping fertilizer company things in somebody's yard. It's just, uh, I, 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 can't, I can't do this. This is different than that. She's going to talk to people she already knows, who already know her. And the invitation is as simple as this. Just, just come see. See what I saw. And if what she has seen has changed her life, then maybe those that know her would at least want to check it out. So we talked about last week, this idea of a resurrected Lord. If it's true, it means everything, changes everything. No better definition of game changer for the world than that the man who died in their place for sins is risen again. And the Father has canceled out those sins of those who trust in him. Well, if this story is true, we check it out. So sometimes it doesn't have to be any more complicated than this. Uh, Do you think it's striking here that she now seems eager to bear witness before the townspeople whom she had previously had reason to avoid? That's why she's there at the middle of the day at the garden. But now she's willing to go back to the place she left in order to tell them 
of what she's learned from this man Jesus. Why do you suppose it is that way? Well, because what she's going back to tell them doesn't have anything to do with her. And usually that's another thing. I don't know if I want to witness to the people that I went to high school with because they know me from high school. And I'm not the same guy from high school. That's going to be a stumbling block. Didn't seem to be a stumbling block with her. So let me see if, if this helps you with this. It seems the method she's using here is not that she's trying to sell something. She's just trying to show something. Not here. Let me sell you this. Convince you of this. No. I've been convinced. Why don't you come and see if you're convinced as to what I was convinced of? It's not selling something. It's showing something. And you can do that too. And for the objection of, hey, I just, I don't know if I know what to say or I don't know if I know what to tell them. Well, if you've been in church any time at all, you know more Bible than people who've never been to church and never read any of it. So you don't have to be an expert in order to do this. Um, she's not trying to sell something. She's trying to show something. Doesn't have to be complicated. Somebody's horn in it. Sometimes it's better to just say, we all know there's a horn out there. And it beeps for a while and then it stops. And we forget about it long enough for it to start up again. But uh, we'll see if we can't get it fixed. It was a fire truck a few weeks ago. And then a few weeks after that. Um, anyway. Lord knows all about it. It's not complicated to witness. Now look at the response. What did they do? Did they look at her like she had two heads? Maybe some of them, I don't know. But a lot of them followed her back to where Jesus was. And it looks as if she avoided this uncomfortable, even offensive sales pitch. Because the problem with the sales pitch, you know how it is. You've got to overcome buyer's resistance, right? You've got to talk them into it. Sometimes, I don't, I don't know your temperament. Sometimes you're, you feel awkward for the awkward person trying to sell you something you know you don't want. And then there's others of you that will just mess with those people while they're doing that. Uh, like the guy at, and had a roommate um, who was friends with a guy that was actually uh, roommates with my brother-in-law too. Be my brother-in-law shortly. And he wanted me to come over. His friend was fixing dinner. And he said, there's plenty enough for everybody. You should come. And I thought I smelled something. But, oh, it's free food. I'll, I'll put up with a timeshare thing if I have to. It wasn't a timeshare. It was a multi-level marketing thing that seems to be just huge in seminaries for some reason. And he started off with this big thing about how he's going to help me and my wife in a very important part of our lives. And I'm thinking, you need to get to the point before I'm going to say, listen, you stay out of what's important to me and my wife. But he said, this is going to save you money. Okay, it's going to save me money. And I let him go into it, and I said, this sounds like a pyramid scheme. And he said, it's not a pyramid scheme. Couldn't be anything further from it. So that's when I get some of his paper, and I start drawing. I said, let me get this straight. He said, now, 
you're right here and you're going to sell this stuff to me and I'm going to sell this stuff to other people and they're going to sell it to other people and other people. Yeah, that's how it works. And then I drew a triangle around it (laughs) and turned it around and said, if you'd have just told me the price of something I actually use and I want it, I'm all open for saving money. But there's just something about that whole thing, isn't it? it? It makes us, it just makes us cringe. Well, she avoided all of this with a simplistic invitation to come and see. Based on the relationship that she had with him already. So let's look at another point. It doesn't have to look successful. This is where we look at verse 31. And I'll just note here. Is common, a common thread through the book of John. We've seen this already. We'll see it a lot of other times. The argument moves along by way of misunderstanding. You ever feel like that? That, that sometimes you seem to get some distance with someone or through some issue only after a big measure of confusion to start with? Uh, that's the way everyone gets saved, isn't it? It doesn't make sense from the beginning. There's some confusion. There's some tension. Is this really real? Do I really need to live this way? Is, does all this really, does, is Jesus who he claims to be? There's always tension. And John is quite comfortable with this tension. So look at verse 31. Meanwhile, I like that word. It reminds me of uh, you know, different scenes in movies. I used to say that uh, in Batman a lot too. Meanwhile. So while she's telling people, come see this, what this man has told me, and they're on their way. Meanwhile, the disciples are urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. This is kind of like uh, visiting mom's house. Don't eat before you go to your mom's house. Because you're going to have to eat there. You'll hurt her feelings. Always sending something. I have a bag of stuff. Every time I leave my mom's house, she gives me something to take with her. If, if they're serving food around this church, you better eat some of it. It's just the way it is. They're the same way. Rabbi, eat. You've been out here all morning. Eat something. But he says, I have food to eat that you know not of. So what do they do? The disciples say to one another, has someone brought him something to eat? So they think somebody else brought him something. Listen to this. They jump to the conclusion that he's talking about literal food as quickly as the Samaritan woman jumped to the conclusion that he's talking about literal water. He's not talking about literal food or water. It's living water. And this bread of life that he's going to talk about later. In this point, the idea of uh, his food or his sustenance is just to do the work that the Father sent him from heaven to do. So Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Verse 35, he begins to explain himself. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white with harvest. So he's saying, you're, you all know, it's a common saying, everybody knows this. Four months is the time it takes to go from sowing to reaping. But then he says, look up. And it could be that these people from Samaria are coming and he's pointing to them. The field's already white with harvest. It's time now. Then he says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. It's coming on in so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. 
And there you've got two different people separate. The reaper's different than the sower because they're rejoicing together. They can't be the same person. Uh, and then he gives them another saying. For here uh, the saying holds true. One sows and other reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. What is he talking about? Uh, because the, the disciples are confused. They're left scratching their heads. But here's what Jesus means by this. And they will understand this in time. It's at least two different things. And they both speak to, need, to, to our evangelism not needing to look successful. At least in the beginning. The first is this. There's a separation of time between the sowing and the reaping. Normally speaking, it's four months for crops. How many of you have started planting stuff yet? A few of you? Yeah, I see a few hands. How long does it take to grow tomatoes? Or cucumbers? Are you all the same down here as they are in Virginia? You just plant way too many cucumbers? Because they're really prolific. When they come in, you won't see one or two. You might have four Walmart sacks on your porch of cucumbers. It's just it seems to be coming out when they come in time. But you can't plant them one day and then eat them that afternoon. There's some time it takes for them to grow and mature. And the rest of the plant wither up. You till it in and you start over next year. Same with okra, same with corn, all these things. There is a time. How long does it take to grow a disciple? Now, sometimes we win someone to the Lord rather quickly, but that's not what Jesus said at the end of it all when he went back to heaven and gave us this great commission. He said, go ye therefore and get people saved, sign cards. No, he said, teach them. All things that I've commanded you. Make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. How long do you suppose that takes usually? To get one Christian saved. And to the spot where they're leading other Christians to be saved. You think it would happen any quicker than it would take to raise one of your children? I don't. To grow a mature Christian? Is that quicker than growing a mature adult? We get in a hurry with these things, I think. There's a time of separation, which means that our evangelistic efforts don't have to look successful at the beginning. The crop's not in yet. You might walk out and check your plants every day. I don't even see any buds yet. Well, it's coming. And if you planted them right after the risk of a frost, it'll be fine. They just need time. That's what I think is going on here. Just think about your development as a Christian and how many other faithful Christians were involved in your growth along the way. And whenever you see a harvest, you can rest assured there were many other laborers involved. Perhaps behind the scenes, maybe even generations removed. This ministry didn't begin a year ago or three years ago or 30 years ago or 150 years ago. And when it was started, that was because of the fruit of men who'd been working with those fellows even before then. 
Uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, I planted, that's Paul, Apollos watered after Paul had gone, but God gave the growth, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. This is speaking of, of, of Paul and Apollos. If you had Paul and Apollos as part of your ministry, would you call that something? Paul says it's nothing apart from the one who makes your vegetables grow. He also makes Christians grow through the work of the Holy Spirit. You're just faithful in the planting and the watering. God brings the increase. Only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. It's the same thing. And each of you will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. If you think of the other parables Jesus used to teach the law of the harvest, one thing is true of them all. In the beginning, the work may have very well looked like a waste. And some of us, I think, could probably be encouraged in knowing that you actually may never see the fruit of your own ministry in your lifetime. Uh, some of the best things I use in notes to prepare sermons are from a group of dead authors. Some of them are still alive. I'm reading through a devotional now of a man who died younger than I am now, and his wife put those things together years after his death. Most people never knew of Oswald Chambers when he was alive. It's the same for all of us. So to think, well, and maybe later in your life, after retirement, what good was any of it? It was worth as much good as the Father is so glorified to use for His purpose. That's His business. If we're found faithful, then we've done what He designed for us to do. In your specific ministry, your workplace, mom and dad, even in your own home, you may not see the fruit of your own labor. Don't talk about heartache. If, if there were ever one, you'd want to see the quick fruit. Let that be in my home to reassure me I'm doing these things right. Maybe not. What we're told from this passage is just keep sowing. Sow faithfully whether or not you reap fantastically. God's the one that gives the growth. And then finally, we've looked at it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to look successful. And it doesn't have to be a failure. Most of the failed evangelism is because we consider it as such and we never start. That's the only sure way to make sure it doesn't work. Look at verse 39. Another meanwhile. It just doesn't say it here, but the Samaritans returned to the story. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. That's the testimony. That's the extent of it. So when the Samaritans came... To him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer what you said, not as if they're discounting that, but we've heard this man's word, and it carries on from where your word, what you have said, is true. So initially, they believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. How many of you is that true of? You believed in Jesus... Because of someone's testimony. Someone said come and see. And when you came to see. You found what was in the scripture to be true. But it started with someone's testimony. Their witness. Be my witnesses. Right? 
But then the witness of Jesus is more powerful when we see it in his word. It all comes together. That the Samaritans wanted to see a Jewish rabbi stay with them not only speaks to the confidence they had in Jesus, but to the fact that they might truly believe that he is the Messiah. I mean, think about that. This is the area some Jews would take the long way around in order to avoid altogether. You've got the good Samaritan, which everybody's mind is blown that a Samaritan would help this guy on the side of the road when the Jews didn't want to get involved in it. So you've got this cultural split between these groups of people. But they're asking this guy to stay for two days. Now this is when your heart begins to melt. You've been long working on someone. Inviting them as best you can. Come and see. And before too long you find out that someone has not only just come to see. But invited Jesus to speak into their lives. They're listening to truth. They're open to these ideas. They're changing their lives. They've asked him to stay. That's when it begins to come together. But that's their decision. All this woman is, is she introduces. Kind of like John the Baptist. To introduce the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's all we're here to do. If we carry this a bit further... We see that it worked. Witnessing doesn't have to look like a failure. The only way to make sure that happens is to never witness. Do you remember the parable of the soils? The stony ground and the roadway, the soft ground, the thorny ground. How did that guy approach his witnessing with the scattering of seeds? He threw it everywhere. And you would come by and say, uh, dude, you're, you're wasting that on the road here. Kind of like when you're seed spreader and you throw a bunch of that. Uh, y'all, it's different. We use the Kentucky uh, is it 31 up in Virginia. Y'all use all kinds of different stuff that I actually grow here. Um, but throwing it up on the driveway isn't going to do any good, right? Birds will come and get it. Or into the weeds. You might bush hog that later, but you can't separate it all. Some of it, though, will find its way to the soft soil, and it'll work. It doesn't have to be a failure. And what about the idea of Samaria here? If you're just a disciple auditing this course, you were told to go into town and buy some food, and while you were there, this whole thing happened, and you're seeing people come to Jesus afterward, you're just watching this as a, as a bystander. Let's just suppose, and this is a supposition, it's not in Scripture, we're just thinking for thinking's sake. Let's suppose Jesus had told them earlier, now, at one point this week, you're going to see a harvest of souls like you've not seen yet. It's going to be amazing. And it's not going to come where you think it's going to come from. On their way through Samaria, do you think all the disciples would have said, well, it's not today, we're going to Samaria. Of all the places for this to break out, Samaria? Go scatter seed where you think it won't do any good. You know, some of y'all like to fish in here, right? 
one of the best pieces of advice anybody ever gave me. You're going to laugh at this. He said, fish in the stupidest spot you can think of. You, you'll surprise yourself at what you might pull out of what everybody blows past. I've done it all the time. So one day I decided, here's what I'm going to do. Maybe this will work like when I'm investing. I should do the opposite of what I want to do. So that day I went out and I did the exact opposite of what I would have thought to do. And you know I fished just as good that day as the previous trip. I didn't catch anything either day. (laughs) But it did pay me. There were places I would look that I had previously thought mm, no good and pulled fish out of there but who would have thought Samaria would have been the place where droves of people would have been saved don't overlook things that look as if they're just not going to turn anything Jesus died for everyone so we tell everyone this is a great example of John 3.16. John 3.16 be- begins to take shape as we see stories like this. If you look at the last five words of the last verse we read, that is, the Savior of the world. This is what these people confessed. This is the Savior of the world. So this story represents the first cross-cultural evangelism undertaken by Jesus himself And issuing a pattern to be followed by the church. This is what he would tell them when he left this world. You will be my witnesses. In Judea, they'd done that. In Samaria, this is what they're doing. And his disciples to the ends of the earth. All made possible by this woman. No one would have said a word to. But Jesus did. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world and everybody in it that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him and what he was going to do for them should not perish but have everlasting life. Here again, Jesus is doing what he left us to do. It's not that he didn't do what he's asked us to do. I mean, you think about it. Here, you're given your task. Witnessing encounter. There they are. Walk up and talk to them. She's a Samaritan, not supposed to talk to them. I mean, this was about as unlikely of a story as anyone could make up. And this is exactly the way Jesus did it. So how do we do what Jesus did? Now, he's Jesus, so we'd use the word himself. But if we're going to do it, we just keep introducing people to Jesus. An endless invitation to come and see doesn't have to be any more complicated doesn't have to look any more successful and it doesn't have to be a failure you think witnessing really works you're here aren't you somebody witnessed to you and hopefully in time the Lord will give us the opportunity to do just the same so I wrote down these things be real We looked at that earlier. She wasn't as much concerned about salesmanship as showmanship. People just don't like fakes anyway. And they don't buy what you're selling. Just be real. Be yourself. That's what she was. She just simply said, hey, God told me everything I've ever done. 
And then pray. I've added this in here because we know from other passages that that's what we need to do. We pray before, during, and after our introductions to come and see. We get that from these verses that Paul would say. The guy that plants, the guy that waters, they're nothing. They're totally dependent upon God who will give the growth. So we need to be in prayer. Then we need to be faithful. Even when it looks like it's not working. Even when it looks like uh, we've got crop failure. Show Jesus to someone. Invite them to come and to see. With that said, let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you. I suppose first and foremost for the fact that we know the truth of the gospel because someone invited us to come and see. And we thank you for John chapter 4 and a long, detailed record of your conversation with a woman described as the least of these. But by the time she understood who you were, a supernatural person, an extraordinary person, even her, a very ordinary person, could go tell other ordinary people about an extraordinary Savior. So, Lord, we ask for your boldness. We don't presume to expect that just when we have three points that make it sound easier, that it'll be any easier when it's time to say, would you come with me and see what's so important to me and my family? Lord, give us boldness to do that thinking of ourselves and our gratitude and thinking of others and the fact that they may be yours. And if you call their name through that introduction, they'll know your voice and they'll follow you. Lord, bless this group of people, this church, Wake Chapel, and our guests that are visiting today. May we be faithful to tell others, introduce them to you, Savior of the world that takes away the sin of the world. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Pray with me, please. Our God and our Father, we thank you for yet another time that we can gather here. We thank you, Father, for the word that we heard. And help us that we might be able to apply that word to our lives, that we may be able to go out tell others about Jesus Christ. You know, Father, sometimes we, uh, as the song just said, we have a lispering, stammering tongue. But, Father, we just pray that you might give us the right words to say. We pray, Father, that you might help us as Christians, that we might have a bold witness and testimony for Jesus Christ. Now this morning, we'd like to pray here for, our, um, uh, for the Bible Broadcasting Network. Father, as they bring the word to uh, others through radio, through song, and through the word, pray that you might bless their endeavors. Now, may the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.